Welcome to the Tao and the Force podcast. Today we are talking about Season 2, Episode 12 of The Clone Wars, The Mandalore Plot. Now, this is the first time we see Mandalore in canon, and much of the style um, of the cities like Sundari are based on cubism. And are some concepts left over from uh, the crystal planet designs for episode two and th- uh, three that ended up being Christophsis. Now, as well as the city design, there's also some paintings that are in some of the rooms in the royal halls and things. One is an homage to Picasso's uh, Guernica. Now, the reason why they live in these cubist cities in the rest of the planet is uh, desolate is because of long ago a war with the Jedi some cataclysm uh, during this war, a weapon of some sort uh, left the world in ruin. Hence why Many uh, Mandalorians, perhaps, are already adversarial with Jedi for their past. Now, the lighting of this episode is worth pointing out. Now, Throughout the Clone Wars, uh, green lighting is often meant to represent separatist things, and blue to represent Republic things, and red the Sith and the vile villains. Now, at Mandalore, there is a conscious choice to use oranges and yellows, more or less as a recognition for the viewer, so that one knows quickly and can establish where they are simply by the lighting. Now, George Lucas never throws out 
Any concept arts or ideas? In the design of Satine falls into this place. For her design is from an old Padme concept art. Now, the lesson of this episode is if you ignore the past, you jeopardize the future. Well, this can apply to many things in this episode. One is Mandalore itself. They ignore their violent past. For at the beginning they are led by Satine into pacifism, but bubbling under the surface is that past, looking to gain foot into power again. It is Satine herself who refuses to see the signs of the growing power of Death Watch in that violent pass uh, threatening her rule of this peace in neutrality. But it also is Obi-Wan. Both he and Satine are trying to ignore their past relationship. But more importantly, Satine represents the Obi-Wan he used to be when he was younger and closer in ideals to Satine when, as she says, when Jedi were more peacekeepers than soldiers. And it represents the Republic losing um, the democracy that used to be even as long ago as the Phantom Menace that they do not see that they are losing their way the Jedi, the Republic that it's slipping from them Satine is a reminder of that past before wars Now, Satine represents the 1,500 neutral worlds wanting to stay out of the war, and she has been named the leader of this group to represent them, but 
Someone has planted rumors that she is building an army to help the Separatists. So, the Council sends Obi-Wan to investigate. Now we know that it is Death Watch that is the one building the army for the Separatists. Now, Obi-Wan uh, comes to Mandalore and is ferried over to the Royal Hall where he is greeted by Prime Minister Olmec. Now, he tells Obi-Wan of their warrior past is gone. And Obi-Wan tells him, well, I once recently encountered a Mandalorian bounty hunter. And this was Jango Fett. And Olmec denounces Jango as a Mandalorian. That he was only a bounty hunter. This is also confirmed by George Lucas that Jango Fett is indeed not a Mandalorian. Enter Satine in her reunion with Obi-Wan and he comments how she looks more beautiful than ever, giving us a hint to some sort of past, uh, probably romantic. And right away, she was already unhappy with him. And they begin their verbal sparring. Now, a Death Watch saboteur attacked the Republic. And killed themselves before being interrogated. And this has alerted the Republic of a growing threat on Mandalore. Obi, knowing Satine, knows that she would never send uh, one of her people to do this. So he never really truly um, links her to this, but Satine says all of her people are trustworthy and accuses the Senate of wanting to interfere 
in uh, Mandalore and get them involved so that they can control Mandalore and Ursup Satine. But he asserts he is not here uh, for the cause of the Senate. It was the Jedi who have sent him. But he's also there to prove that she has nothing to do with this assassin. Now, as they go for a walk in their banter, Olmec gives a a look of sort of what's going on between these two for uh, he it is obvious that there is some past relationship between them and what she might give away to the republic he may worry about because of his friendship now they she tells him of the death watch but she still thinks it is a small group not worth worrying of for Away from Holmec and others, she can be more honest with Obi-Wan. She tells him that they have tracked the Death Watch to Concordia, a moon province of Mandalore. But she does not... She feels it is isolated there, and that is all. Meanwhile, we are introduced to Pre Vizsla, the leader of Death Watch and governor of Concordia, and we see him contacting Count Dooku about the Jedi that has come and uh, the danger he may possess to their plans for the Death Watch to overthrow City. And Lord Sidious want the public on the side of Death Watch. They don't want just a military take takeover that the people may re resist and revolt against. They are looking to make Satine look weak 
and unable to handle the growing threat of the Death Watch, so that they can force a Republic takeover. And the people not wanting to be controlled by the Republic would revolt and hate the Republic for occupation and rally to the Death Watch where they would be liberators. Now, back to Satine, her and Obi-Wan immediately debate the role of peacekeepers there. Friendly ketchup quickly descends into an argument. Where they debate the uh, role of the Jedi as peacekeepers as well as uh, Satine being a uh, and she asserts that they should make sure conflict doesn't arise for he asserted that when one is on the front lines one can't always be passive a certain reality to war that peacekeeping is a great ideal but sometimes there is a reality and she asserts that is reality what makes a Jedi abandon their ideals Once again, that reminder of a more um, idealistic past for the Jedi, but as they argue, there is an explosion. And this explosion is targeted to make Satine look weak not really designed to hurt Mandalorians but the Death Watch wants Obi-Wan to witness this and report this violence back to the Republic And the uh, after the bomb there is a death watch symbol leaving no doubt as to who uh, is responsible for they they won't 
everybody to know that the team is weak. So they are not trying to hide responsibilities as yet. Now, the bomber is nearby and runs under the threat of possible interrogation. And Obi-Wan is only trying to talk with him, but he commits suicide. And Satine comforts the bomber for she is a, a forgiving, compassionate person and does not hold on to revenge and anger. More reminders of the Jedi past and Obi-Wan and Satine uh, decide to meet with the governor of Concordia, uh, Pre Vizsla, so he can find out more about this Death Watch. Now, the irony, of course, with Satine and her neutrality and wanting to stay out of the Republic's war is that Mandalore itself is a microcosm of the greater conflict for the Republic and the Jedi wanted to remain neutral but the Separatist threat forced them into action. And this is happening on Mandalore. Satine is trying to remain neutral, but Death Watch and Sidious and Dooku are forcing Mandalore uh, into a civil war. And she does not realize she has been fighting a silent civil war for some time. For she is surrounded by people who support uh, going back to their warrior ways. Her friend Tal Merrick is siding with the Death Watch. Uh, uh, Prime Minister eventually comes uh, on their side uh, pre Islam, she thinks is an ally is the leader of the Death Watch her own sister Bo-Katan is with the Death Watch so she is blissfully ignorant to some degree in it is more of a hope that death watch in this 
impending civil war goes away to a degree. She blames the Republic, but she is not aware of all the machinations of uh, Sidious and Dooku and evil people wanting uh, her power. She is in their crosshairs. Now, Mandalore reminds me a little bit of Spain in World War II. They tried to remain neutral, having just fought a violent civil war themselves. Much like Mandalore, though the Mandalorian Wars were longer ago. And like Spain, they can't remain separate from the war, the war finds them to a degree. For they have resources and power that uh, people fighting on both sides of the war won't. Now, of course, there are great differences between Mandalore and Spain starting with the leadership. But my point being, wanting to remain neutral in the reality of remaining neutral are two separate things and prove to be difficult for both. Spain, in their dealings during the war, ended up with them being uh, embargoed and punished after the war for some of their help with the um, Axis powers. Now, Mandalore uh, ultimately suffers when we see in season seven, but the divide is already started. And much like in Spain during World War II, you had um, people who were uh, nationalists who fought on the side of Franco during the Civil War, who ended up uh, fighting with the Germans. There was a group uh, sent to fight 
on the Russian front line for Germany's, for they did not want uh, to be seen fighting the Allies. And there were more uh, liberal Republican uh, people who had fought during the Civil War, who went into Vichy France and things to help fight with the Allies. Now we've already seen Death Watch being like those who went to help to fight the Axis powers. They are already allied with the Separatists. And hopefully Satine will become an, more of an ally with the Republic, but how does she keep neutrality? Well, that ends my rant on World War II politics and Mandalore. Now, there is mining on the moon of Concordia. It is a source of wealth and such. But it is said long ago to have been destroyed. But as they uh, arrive and Obi-Wan explores, it seems mining has resumed and is operational. Of course, this is where the Death Watch are making their armor from. And as Obi-Wan snoops around, Satine is left with Pre Vizsla at dinner. Of course, uh, Vizsla not very worried about them snooping, but eventually Obi-Wan is caught and is in a great deal of trouble and he needs a team to come rescue him from this. But we see some insight into Vizsla that he does care for Mandalorians, even though he may be cold-hearted. He is writing a letter to the family of the bomber who we saw commit suicide earlier. Now,
Mandalorians they are. Uh, when Obi-Wan is captured by them, tell, tell him that they don't recognize Satine's rule. So threatening to uh, tell or report back to Satine this is not much of a threat. Now, we know that the some uh, uh, who is misrepresenting Satine to the Republic is Vizsla. And for the mo as they Vizsla and Satine talk of these things, he is a man of honor, and he's honest with her to a point about who may be behind these things. But then, uh, Satine leaves to go save uh, Obi-Wan. And even as she is rescuing Obi-Wan, they still engage in their verbal sparring. But she does come to his rescue. Is he is the uh, damsel in distress in this episode. And Satine gets singed in the rescue. But Vizsla, wanting to be done with this charade, he finally reveals himself. He shoots one of the mandos who failed him in a very Vader-like way, killing those who fail. And he reveals his mask, that it is the governor of Concordia Previsla, who is leader of the Death Watch, but also he boasts of the warrior past. It reveals the Darksaber and how it was taken from the Jedi Temple by a member of his clan years ago when the Mandalorians fought against the Jedi. Once again, showing how there is still uh, animosity towards the Jedi by many Mandalorians. And Vizsla and Obi-Wan fight. And Vizsla is a capable fighter, but ultimately Obi-Wan 
is the superior. So, in order to save face, Vizsla orders the other Mandalorians to finish Obi-Wan. So some fighting ensues involving some rockets and Obi-Wan saves the team so they have both rescued each other and to a degree they are let to leave for Ultimately, they need Obi-Wan to report the danger that Death Watch uh, poses. And then they will need to find a new base, though, for Satine, those Concordias. Um, siding with the Separatists now, and where Deathlock Watch is headed. Obi-Wan informs the team that with the Separatists helping Death Watch, that her neutrality is at risk, and it is getting out of her hands now. And he, he's a bit like where he is with Anakin in Revenge of the Sith, where Anakin is being pulled by Sidious in the Jedi Council, and Obi-Wan does not want to uh, be on either side with Anakin. He wants only to be on Anakin's side, but just like Anakin is being forced between, Obi-Wan is forced between. And we see his anguish with that in Revenge of the Sith, in the, when he is forced to report to Anakin uh, his new assignment to report on the Chancellor. He took no pleasure in it. Well, similarly here, Satine is in the... between the Republic and the Separatists. And it gives Obi-Wan no pleasure uh, to be caught uh, on one side or the other with Satine. Though he is on the side of the Republic, he, he is also on the side of Satine. He does not want to be playing politics with her. He only wants to be her friend. Now, Anakin arrives to pick up Obi-Wan who is worn out, but we get to see 
a more vulnerable side to Obi-Wan. One that Satine brings out. He's not the more composed, uh, in-controlled Jedi we often see him. She brings out some of the best and worst in him. We see him more unsure and more dug in, in in some ways to the wall. But we will see their relationship Thor as the Cloud Wars go on. Well, this is all that I have for today, and I wish you well, and to see you again. Good day.